0: Hello.
1: Sanctified us by His commandments, and has commanded us to be a light to the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen.
2: Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup.
0: Baruch Eloheinu Melech Olam Borei
2: Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. (laughs) Hamotzi lechem min haaretz We give thanks to God for bread Our voices rise in song together As our joyful prayer is said
0: Eloheinu melech olam hamotzi lechem min Amen.
2: Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen.
0: All of that. All
2: right. Now husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you lord for the wonderful wife that you've given me and father we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this sabbath day i pray that you bless her strengthen her and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household and i pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children father i pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is and, Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her, and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. 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 Shabbat Shalom.
3: Shabbat
1: shalom. 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 Please join us for the Barhu, the call to worship. Baruch et Aronai hamvorach. Baruch Aronai hamvorach le'olam va'ed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord, who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha ba'elim
3: Adonai. Michamocha nedar ba'kodesh. No, he load. Oh, say, oh, say, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord. Who is like you, O
1: Lord? Amen. And now the blessing of Messiah. Barucha ta'aranai, elohinu melecha'olam, asher tanlanu et derach ha'yashua ba Mashiach Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the vishamru. Vishamru vene Yisrael et Hashabat. La asot et Hashabat la doratan berit olam. Bene ovayan vene Yisrael otile leolam. Kesheshet yamin asa Aronai. Et hashemayim va et hararets, uvayom hashvii shvat Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem, for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai
3: Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kevod me'achuto le'olam, Yeshua Hamashiach, Hu
1: Adonai, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is One. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the hafta, be hafta et aronai elohecha, bechol lavavcha uvchol nafshecha uvchol meyodecha, v'ha'yu. Ha devarim ha alea sher anochi, mitzavcha, hayom, al levavacha. Vashinantam levanecha, vilebartabam, veshiftacha, bebetrecha, uvlechtecha, viderech, uvshufbecha, uvkumicha. Ukshartam, leot Al alyadecha, vahayula totafot, benanecha. Uktaftam, almezuzot, betecha, uvisharecha. Altogether. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
0: I need the hand Of your robe I need the hand Of your robe So as you walk by love Hang your robe down low Hang your robe down Messiah Son of David hear my cry Son of David hear my I cannot be silent. My savior's walking by. So j
3: Shinatan Torah Torah, Baruch Shinatan Torah Torah, Leamor.
4: Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and welcome to our Arab Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom. We have finally come to the final portion this Sabbath for the book of Exodus. We're in the portion of Exodus is talking about the tabernacle and its construction, and that's what this portion is going to address, is the final elements of building uh, the tabernacle for us. Our Hof Torah portion is going to be an extension of what we had last Shabbat. It will begin there in 1 Kings 7 and go into 1 Kings 8, as we did. But before we go there, I want to just briefly mention a few things to remind you of, specifically this Torah portion and what its implications are for us uh, as spiritual instruction. The portion is entitled Pekude. And pekude is the, mean, the word for accounting or to give an account for it. And one of the things I really appreciate about the Torah here is that Moses is carrying out a function that I think is essential for any um, leader, spiritual leader, uh, who operates in the idea of doing some of the Lord's work with God's people? And that is that he needs to be prepared to give an account at all times for how he's using the Lord's resources how he is conducting his own personal business and since he is his needs are fed by the lord's resources we should be able to examine to make sure that he's doing all things that are appropriate with regard to that that he's not shearing the sheep for his own benefit but he's ministering to the flock For the benefit of the flock and to further the goals of the Lord's ministry here on the earth. And so this portion, the Torah portion, Moses goes into a very detailed accounting of all of the materials that were used to construct the tabernacle and how they were used, how, you know, how much of the gold was used here, how much of the silver was used here, the materials that were donated and so forth, how were they used, what did they construct with them, uh, right down to every curtain, every socket of every uh, part, and so that all of the material, that which was donated, can be given account. Lion and Ministries has been operating for a couple of decades And this has been a very important function of us. We have followed uh, all of the ethical rules of accounting. And in fact, uh, I can just tell you, because we have a bookkeeper who does it, um, he can account for every dime that's in this organization. No matter what the expenditure is or how it comes in, and anyone who donates here gets full credit for making their donation – uh, free will donations that don't have someone associated with it, they are still accounted for as to how they're used and spent. There's no slush fund. Nobody's getting enriched. You can account for every employee, including the director, as to how much compensation he receives. And you will find out there's nothing outlandish or inappropriate. For example, um, Ephraim as the new director, has not gone out and bought his own uh, Learjet, uh, so when he needs to go around and travel around, he, he doesn't travel by that. He's got a truck, and he's got a car for his family, and, and sometimes he rides on airplanes, but he pays for the ticket, and, and he stays in hotels or lodging with the brethren, and all of this is accounted for, and the point that I want to make here, this is essential for any ministry to have credibility, and the model For this comes from Moses himself. This is a Torah principle about how you should conduct a ministry that honors the Lord. And Moses gives us in this Torah portion a full accounting of all of the donations that came in and how they were used with regard to the building of the tabernacle. He then goes on to delineate specifically the construction of the tabernacle and exactly how every piece was built and put together and when you get to chapter 40 you're going to see something rather interesting the tabernacle when it was assembled and put together was assembled from the inside out if you go to chapter 40 the first thing set up was the ark then the veil then the lamp then the Altar of incense, the veil again, table of showbread, altar, outside, the laver, the outer veil, the priesthood, and the oil that they would use and other consumables they would use. And there was a very specific order uh, where the most important things were put first and then uh, and, and from that point. It also reflects to us a certain spiritual pattern that we have with regard to us. If you're going to mature in the Lord, and you're going to grow spiritually in the Lord, you have to follow the pattern of the construction of the tabernacle. The changes that have to take place are not outside superficial changes. The changes have to begin first inside of you. And the first item that is in that Ark of the Covenant is that covenant with God, the agreement to it, and guess what's in the Ark of the Covenant? the two tablets. The new covenant was instituted with the definition that God would write his commandments on the tablets of our hearts. And we were taught repeatedly by Moses and the prophets and even the Messiah that what originates from the heart it's where sin originates and where righteousness originates. You have got to get control of the heart first. The heart has to be yielded to God first. You don't put on superficial things about yourself. For example, there's a lot of people who think spirituality is based on, well, I'll go to church all pray, all fellowship with other brethren. Those are all outward things. What is inside the heart of the person? What do they actually believe? Now, in the course of this messianic ministry and in the course of the people that I've ministered to, I've heard a host, a host of testimonies where there were people who'd been going to church for years but they never made the internal heart decision to really trust and believe in the Lord and to obey the Lord. And so when they come into this teaching, where we're turning back to Moses, the Messianic teaching, all of a sudden they're learning spiritual things in a great big hurry that they've never learned before. In fact, I've heard the testimony that in just a few short weeks... Listening to a Messianic teacher, the person who's been going to church for 30 or 40 years learns more in the first couple of sessions with a Messianic teacher than they've ever learned in the faith going to church for decades. And I think the reason for that is because our teaching, going back to Moses, is like the pattern of the tabernacle. We build from inside first. The first thing that we address is your heart and listening to His commandments. You hear the Lord, and you listen to His commandments, and you follow His commandments. Those are the things in the Ark of the Covenant of the tabernacle. And from there, we add to. We expand out, just as the tabernacle was built. It was built from the inside out. And when you build your spiritual life, your spiritual heart, from the inside out, you're following the build pattern that God did when he was showing the pattern to the children of Israel. And this is what the Messiah was talking about. The Messiah specifically made emphasis on about how the, the, the direction of your spiritual life originates from the heart. And you, you, it's your heart that can defile you. It's your heart that can put you on the path of righteousness. You turn that to the Lord, you glow in his direction, your heart goes after the Lord first, regardless of how you may appear to other men. And that's the reason why, for example, we hear the story of the, of the two fellows on the cross, either side of Yeshua, and somehow one of them was announced that he would be in paradise with the Messiah that day. Which one was it, the one on the right or the one on the left? Well, we don't know. Yeshua knows because he could see into the man's heart. There was definitely a difference between those two men. And the difference was one man's heart was yielded to the Lord and the other one was not. And Yeshua could discern that difference. And I'm telling you that Yeshua and God Almighty can discern what is in your heart. Are you building the temple of God inside of you and the temple of God here is built first from the heart. It's built from His commandments. If in your heart you're saying, well, I want to emphasize grace, I, I don't want to emphasize the commandments, you don't know what grace is. Grace is the thing that helps you to keep the commandments. And But the goal is keep the commandments of the Lord. Listen to the Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear what the Lord says and do what the Lord says. How many times did we hear the prophets tell Israel that that was what was essential uh, to be able to walk before the Lord and prepare for the coming of the Messiah? It's essential to your relationship in the Messiah to have that kind of posture. Now, that's a reminder of what the Torah portion is, but let's quickly shift to the Hofto portion and we'll see how this fits into the portion. Our portion actually begins with the 51st verse of chapter 7 in 1 Kings, which says, Thus all the work that King Solomon performed in the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in these things dedicated by his father the silver and the gold. And the utensils, and he put them in the treasures of the house of the Lord. And what follows in chapter 8 is just like chapter 40, this explicit detail of how the temple in Jerusalem was built in specific detail, accounting for all of the things um, that Solomon did, uh, following the plan of King David uh, for this. However, And as I've shared in the previous portions with you, uh, in the Hafto portions, there were some things, I hesitate to use the word added, but as compared to the tabernacle, there were things that were added uh, into the temple in Jerusalem, such as the two pillars, the laver was completely constructed, uh, much larger. Uh, There were ten menorahs inside, as opposed to just one. And it's clear, that according to the biblical record, that King David, while he was not permitted to um, build the, the temple, he was permitted to assemble all the materials and put together the plans for the temple that was going to be in Jerusalem. And his son Solomon then took those materials and that plan and basically built well, not basically, he actually did build the temple according to those plans and according to those materials uh, for it. And as I mentioned to you before, there were a couple of differences from the tabernacle. <clears throat> the, um, I want to touch on one more, but you're not going to find a biblical record for this. I'm going to share with you what was an understanding on the part of the Jewish people in the Temple of Solomon. And it, it falls into that category of things that were added, and Solomon was doing so to increase the glory of God uh, in it. And I've mentioned to you already last week about the two pillars, the two bronze pillars outside, Ya'kim and Boaz were the names of them and what they meant. The big, the big labor that was done, but let me read just a little bit more into First Kings 8, and you're going to see there's something else that kind of is different than used to be. So it says, let me begin from verse 4 of chapter 8. And they brought up the ark of the, of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the holy utensils, which were in the tent, and the priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in its inner sanctuary of the house, to the most holy place, uh, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles from above. Verse 8. But the poles were so long that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen outside. They were there to this day. And there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. Essentially what it's saying is is that the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the Holy Place, the inner sanctuary, that the the way the ark was placed was the poles that were on either side facing toward the entrance and exit, um, those poles protruded into the veil to where that as you walked into the sanctuary and you saw the veil hanging, separating the Holy of Holies from the Holy Place, you could see these two... Uh, obstructions into the veil that were indicating the end of the poles of the ark. And that you had a sense of the ark is right there. Now, you didn't see the ark. The poles weren't outside uh, of it. But you had a sense of that. Um, that was never mentioned in the tabernacle um, you know, for it. But the very Ark of the Covenant... That was brought, that was used in the tabernacle, was put into the Holy of Holies, and it did that. Now, to tell you the truth, I'm not really quite sure um, why that was so, you know, what was the meaning behind that, but that opens the door for something else I want to share with you. Apparently, according to the tradition and the understanding, of the temple in Jerusalem, there was something else also in the Holy of Holies that doesn't get mentioned. What is it? Well, on either side of the Ark of the Covenant were two golden lions, and they had wings on them. And they were—that's the name. A lion with wings is called a griffin and there were two griffin that were understood to be inside of the holy of holies either side of the ark of the covenant with those poles protruding out now i don't have this on real authoritative source i can't quote from somebody but it's almost like the protruding poles were sending you kind of a warning before approaching the Holy of Holies that there's something there, you need to take that into account and be very careful about how you proceed. Um, The lions were said to guard the Holy of Holies. Um, And then there's this incredible Jewish legend that was developed about this. And we'll find... There's a big write-up in the Talmud about this. These are the Jewish writings, rabbinical writings from 250 A.D. to 450 A.D. And in some of those writings, they are trying to address why is it that Yeshua of Nazareth was able to um, do miracles? Why was he able to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, Raise people from the dead. Lazarus, there's no disputing. How is it that he was able to be resurrected? These are questions that the Talmud and the rabbis wrestle with. And there's about five different places in the Talmud where they're trying to address different things about the testimony of Yeshua and dealing with this. This one particular part Deals with what we're talking about today. It deals with the idea of the ark, of the covenant being in here, the the um, the lions, the griffin being in here. And so, let me just rattle it off. I'm I'm not suggesting to you this was true. I just want you to understand what is this Jewish legend that's written in the Talmud and has actually shaped <clears throat> a lot of Jewish thinking about the testimony of Yeshua and how it's affected. Uh, the Jewish community, which, by the way, I'll remind you right from the beginning that Paul warns us not to pay attention to Jewish fables and legends. And I think he was referencing one of these. So the story goes that inside the Holy of Holies, very special place, Ark of the Covenant, tablets, uh, these two griffin lion, and supposedly on the wall above the Ark of the Covenant, Etched into the wall are the words that have the secret of life. Now, if you're a man and you could know what the secret of life was, that you would be able to do incredible things. You would be able to cleanse lepers, heal the sick, create food out of very small things. You would be able to raise people from the dead you would be able to be raised from the dead yourself. And uh, the secret of life was associated with all of these incredible, wondrous things uh, that you could do. Now, why is it that other people couldn't do the secret of life, and how is it that Yeshua, quote, got the secret of life? Well, they say that the way this used to work is if you made your way into the Holy of Holies, such as the high priest, on Yom Kippur, that you would look on the wall and you would see the secret of life and you would have it. But the moment that you would turn around and start to leave the Holy of Holies, the lions would suddenly roar at you, frighten you, and you would forget the secret of life. And you would walk back just like you were when you walked in. And that the lions were there guarding that. So they say, how did Yeshua beat that? Well, they say that, and this is actually in the Talmud, they say that Yeshua um, took a knife and he made an incision into his thigh, you know, a slit into the muscle of his leg. He then took a small piece of parchment he went inside the Holy of Holies. He saw the secret of life. He wrote it on this parchment, folded it up, and stuck it into this incision uh, that was in his leg. He stuck it into the flesh of his leg. Now he walks out of the Holy of Holies. The lions roar. He forgets the secret of life, but suddenly, outside of the Holy of Holies, he's got this terrible pain down here in his leg, and he discovers this piece of parchment, and he pulls it out, and thus he has the secret of life outside of the Holy of Holies. This is how the ancient rabbis explained how Yeshua could do all the different things that he did that it ties back into this understanding about the differences that was done by Solomon in making the temple as compared to the tabernacle. And now, biblically, we don't hear anything like that. But this was a legend. This was the Jewish legend, and it was keying off of this verse about seeing the poles protruding and about the whole structure of the temple in Jerusalem as being slightly different from the structure of the tabernacle. And this is where some of this comes from. Now, there's other places in the Talmud that try to come up with the explanation as to how Yeshua was able to do the things he did. There's one place that says he went to Babylon, he became a sorcerer, and he came back, and he had learned sorcery. And and if you recall, there was accusations that he was uh, doing works of sorcery. You know, that was one of the accusations made against him and about how he had powers that came from the devil, and you heard about that accusation when he was ministering as well. Well, the Talmud addresses all those different things. They're trying to explain away how Yeshua was able to do the things that he did. Now, for us, who are Messianic believers, as, as we've talked about in our previous studies of the tabernacle and so forth, there's a tremendous amount for us spiritually to learn about our relationship with God, about how God dwells within us, um, and how the work of the Holy Spirit is working in us, what the table of showbread is to us, what the menorah is to us, what the Ark of the Covenant helps us to understand how God is manifesting and revealing himself to us. This is his house. We want to be a part of the house. Uh, We see the things that are going on in Jerusalem with the temple being constructed, and yet we still know yet future. There's a day coming when the Messiah is going to come back and dwell with us. Guess what is going to be built in Jerusalem? Another temple. And if you read Ezekiel 40, which talks about that temple, its design and structure is even different from the second temple that Solomon built. And it's definitely different from the tabernacle. It seems like there's an evolution of manifestation of God's things with us as we go through the process. So it's important, I think, for us to learn the lessons of the tabernacle, to build on it, to learn the lessons of the temple, build on it, so that we're ready for when the Messiah comes to establish his kingdom, we're ready to be a part of that as well. Now there's uh, the final part of our Torah portion it gives us the final details of the complete construction of the of the uh, tabernacle and one of the things that's profoundly told to us is it was assembled and completed on the first day of the first month which would have been the month of Nisan which is 14 days before the Passover Nisan is considered the head of months for the religious calendar, Uh, and it's not the creation calendar, it's the redemption calendar. And the tabernacle is given to us as a sign of a, a part of the message of redemption. Certainly fits within the idea of you're approached by someone who's an intermediary between God and you, the priest, that he takes you in and you're confronted with the altar and a sacrifice is presented for you. You continue to wash at the laver and clean up your life, and then you go in to learn more about God, and you learn about the light of God and you're taught. You learn about the bread of God and you eat it. You learn about praying to God, which is the altar of incense, and inside there further is where the Lord's mercy seat is. And one of the things that we're told by the Messiah is that his work as the high priest for you is to get you through that whole process all the way to the mercy seat. All the way to where the commandments of God and what he said, it's on your heart too. That is what messianic teaching is all about. It's about getting the commandments of the Lord, into your heart. You know them, you know they're there, you learn what they are, you know how to obey the Lord, and thus you walk with the Lord uh, together. That's what brings us to a conclusion of the book of Exodus about the instruction of the tabernacle and now opens the stage for the next book of the Torah for us next Sabbath. So until then, Shabbat Shalom to all of you.
2: Shabbat Shalom. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew to chapter 28. Hold your finger at verse 18, where our Brit Hadashah portion will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you, Lord, for this teaching and this time, Father, that we can dig into your word once again. Father, I pray that you would make your word to come alive and be powerful. May it speak to us in what is going on in our current week. And Father, I pray that you would just pour out your spirit upon us uh, at all times, and especially on this Sabbath day. We thank you for this time and this teaching. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So our tour portion this week is Peku Day, which is usually a the second portion of a double portion in most years, uh, but because it is a leap year, uh, we have a. An extra month added, all of the double portions are split into two. And in last week's uh, Brit Hadasah recording, uh, I covered the um, I covered both portions as a double portion. And so for this week, for our Brit Hadasah session, I want to put a cap, a wrap up of the entire book of Exodus, with a, an emphasis on the New Testament, upon the Messiah. What can we do as we look at the entirety of Exodus and see? What can we dig into in the New Testament, and how can it come alive, and how can it kind of put a wrap and a cap on the entirety of the book that we are completing, getting ready to go into the book of Leviticus for the next week. As we've come to the end of the book of Exodus, we've completed the building of the tabernacle. The people have donated, they've given, they've given this offering, and we have built the tabernacle, the place for God to dwell. And so we can talk about how the Glory of the Lord filled uh, when it filled the tabernacle, and how the glory of the Lord has come into the uh, temple in the New Jerusalem. That is from our passage in Revelation, and we can also talk about how the giving of an account of the children of Israel, the gifts and the offerings that they gave, and so we could talk about those. But I did cover that in last week's portion. But what I want to look at is the entirety of Exodus, going all the way back to the beginning when we're first introduced to the man named Moses because Moses he has this incredible pattern in his life that also parallels Israel as it went through the Exodus as it was in Egypt and the whole idea the concept and if you just wanted to summarize the journey of Moses or the journey of the children of Israel you could do it in this way that he passed through the waters and then came into an encounter with God that's what happened to Moses, as his name was drawn from the waters, is what his name meant, and that he passed through the waters and then came into uh, into the wilderness after being raised in Egypt, fleeing the land of Egypt and going and experiencing God through the burning bush. And you see that exact same pattern with Israel, as they were in Egypt. And then when they were set free, they had to pass through the waters of the Red Sea and then come to the mountain, come to Mount Sinai, where they then had an experience with God and received the covenant. And this is a pattern and a journey that we all do when we come into faith through our Messiah, Yeshua. We come and we pass through the waters. We uh, have an experience with God, and we pass through the waters, and we are go through the baptism, and then we are born again, born and made anew, just like Israel was made a new nation after they were freed. And Moses, his life became an entirely new testimony when he had the experience with the burning bush, met his God, and then led the children of Israel out of Egypt. So why have I now, in our passage for the New Testament this week, why have I taken us to the Great Commission? Because this is where we see this same pattern of being saved, the same pattern as to what we are to do, that we have this experience with God, we go through the waters, and we are commissioned to go into the nations and making disciples of the nations. Let us read the Great Commission as it comes to us from Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's the the beautiful summary of the Great Commission telling us what we are to do as followers of the Lord. Go make disciples of the nations. Teach them the words, the ways, the commandments that God has spoken to us. Go into the nations and and baptize them. Make them pass through the waters. Now, there's something very interesting about the pattern of Moses and the children of Israel that is slightly different than this one. In fact, before I get into that, I want to go to uh, the end of the Gospel of Mark, which also has a repeat of the Great Commission. It has a little bit more detail to it, a little bit more um, (laughs) spunk to it, if you will, which the Gospel of Mark kind of does that. It kind of gets down to business and kind of says things in a little bit different way. Let me read the Great Commission as it is according to the Gospel of Mark. It says this at verse 15 of Mark chapter 16. And he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel, every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. This is not only the commission to speak into the nations and to make disciples of the nations, but also the power that is within the believers when they go and when they journey, that they will be kept safe from harm. They'll be able to cast out demons, which is ultimately what the commission was to be for Israel, Israel, to have the power of God, the presence of God right there in their midst, They were going to be able to go and dispossess nations, go in and remove anything that was not of the Lord, and no harm was going to befall them or come against them when they had the presence of God inside of them. Now, one of the things that's a little bit different on the story of the children of Israel and the story of a believer who comes into faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and believing in Yeshua as their Lord and Savior. The children of Israel... Were very young, immature, saved by grace out of Egypt, passed through the waters, and then had the experience at Mount Sinai to experience and enter into covenant with God. What's a little bit different for a believer, when we come into faith in God, it's almost as if we have that experience with God first and then pass through the waters, you see the little bit slight difference is that anytime that we go and when it's time to commission ourselves and, or, or we, we have a new believer that comes into the faith and then they pass through the waters, they do so after they've already had this experience with God, almost like they've had this moment with the Lord, this burning bush experience, or this time meeting the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on the mountain, and then they go and pass through the waters. And it's interesting to me the slight difference and the slight contrast By when we have the faith in God, we then feel like we can then conquer anything. And the difference with the children of Israel, imagine this. Imagine if the children of Israel, while they were in Egypt, had that experience with God. Imagine if they had had that moment at the mountain in a spiritual way inside their hearts, then we're saved from Egypt then went and passed through the waters and then braved the wilderness on their way to the promised land do you think that that moment with the lord or that that sudden relationship being built there if that would have aided them in their belief like when they came to the waters and then they believed that pharaoh was coming against them and they were just going to die and there were no graves in egypt and then moses then says, stand still and see the Yeshua, see the salvation of God. And then they pass through the waters. Would they have been as faint-hearted if they had had that experience before leaving or on their way to the journey into the wilderness? Now, I know that they heard the voice of God from the mountain, then ended up journeying in the wilderness for 40 years after rejecting the promised land. They did all of those things. But if they could have had the Spirit of God truly flowing within them, do you think that generation would have made it through the wilderness? Do you think it's possible that they wouldn't have died in the wilderness, but instead would have made it all the way to the promised land? I like to think that in the New Testament, and when we hear this sort of this pattern by which we become believers in our faith in Messiah, that this new pattern somehow aids us in braving the wilderness, almost as if we need to be filled with the Spirit of God and then be ready to tackle anything that comes our way. In the same way that the Great Commission, according to the Gospel of Mark, tells us that as believers, we should have no fear of the things that come against us, because it was the fear of going into the, going into the wilderness or, sorry, going into the promised land because of the giants that were in the land. It was that fear that prevented that older generation from making it to the promised land. Ultimately, if you look at the, the story and the journeys of the, of the children of Israel, there's lots of things to learn from, mostly of what not to do. And ultimately, if there's ever going to be this greater exodus, how to make the exodus greater— would be if that older generation made it all the way through the promised land. They didn't fall in the wilderness. They didn't grow faint-hearted. They didn't rebel. They didn't grumble. They didn't go after other gods. They didn't do any of those other things in the wilderness. That is how the Exodus would become a greater Exodus, is if that older generation could make it. So how do we do that? What's the pattern? What's the pattern for getting that older generation? Well, before... They were immature, leaving Egypt. They were blessed. They were were carried by the hand. They were they rode on eagle's wings through the wilderness, according to the the scripture. And yet they still didn't accept that experience with God. They didn't let the presence of God truly be that which carried them through the wilderness, through any trial or tribulation that they faced, so that they could make it to the promised land, because it, it was all still at surface level. God didn't dwell within their hearts. God dwelt in a tabernacle in a tent right next door to them when ultimately God's plan, God's purpose was to dwell in their hearts so that when his presence dwells within someone, that's where the power is. That's where the glory is. And that is what casts out demons. And that's what causes someone to walk with no fear. So if I were, if I would be so bold as to say, how do we get through the wilderness? What would be the one thing that I would change? I would take every member of that older generation and fill them with the spirit of God, truly filled with the the, the spirit, just like it was poured out after our Messiah came in the first century. If that spirit was inside that older generation, I don't believe they would have fallen in the wilderness. They would have made it all the way to the promised land. And that's the lesson for us. so that we don't repeat the same mistakes as the ancients, that we receive the glory of God, we receive the testimony of Yeshua, we accept him into our heart, we make him the high priest of this temple, this tabernacle, and we carry that with us through any trial, any tribulation, anything the world can throw our way, and that is ultimately how we make it to the promised land. Proverbially, the promised land is heaven, the kingdom, the the, the place where we're going, the place where we want to go. And that's exactly what we teach and have taught in Christian churches and everywhere for, for a very long time. That it's believing in Him, Christ and Him crucified, having that in your life is what will take you to heaven or the kingdom or whatever you truly believe happens after we die. That is what we need. That's the lesson from the children of Israel. What's the one thing they needed? They needed the glory of God in their hearts, not just dwelling in a tabernacle in their midst. Because even then, even with a pillar of fire by day, uh, a pillar of uh, fire by night, cloud by day, in their midst, they still didn't believe. They still didn't follow after the word of God and finish the journey on their way to the promised land. And they didn't make it. But this generation, the one that is living today, If we do that one little tweak that we kind of read and can see in the Great Commission, to have that experience with God, then pass through the waters, go into the nations, teach them everything that God has said to us and everything he has commanded. And that is how we will truly make disciples. And that is how any generation, any future generation will make it to that promised land. We have the benefit of having the glory of God inside of us. It's a result of there not being a temple in Jerusalem. Honestly, the, the, the temples have been destroyed in Jerusalem. The tabernacle is no more. And so you can sit here and you can question and say, where is the glory of God? Where is God's presence? Because tru- truthfully, does the glory of God need that tabernacle or in that temple for his presence to be here on earth? No, he really doesn't because he could walk this earth and he has walked this earth, whether he was walking in the garden or whether it was Messiah walking in the first century, God's presence can be here on earth. The tabernacle in the temple simply gave us an example of what it's like. It showed us the character of God, his desire to live in a house, to dwell with his people. It teaches us about our heart. It teaches us about everything that he's doing inside of us. Now that there is no temple, we can study those things, study the tabernacle, the temple and know that spiritually that is exactly what is going on inside of our hearts. And we can carry the glory of the Lord with us. If you would, please now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a very, it's a couple of verses and you've probably heard it before, that all of this is having to do with how we now are the temple of God. We now are the ones who bear the image of God, more closely resembling what it was like back in the garden, because Adam was made in the image of God. He was the bearer of God's image. Now, after he sinned, after darkness came into the world, it says that all of us were now made in the image of Adam, not no longer in the image of God. But through our faith in Messiah Yeshua, being filled with the Holy Spirit, we now get to carry once again the glory of God inside our person. Now, the Apostle Paul is warning us about keeping ourselves clean, keeping ourselves and our bodies from sexual immorality or from eating things that are unclean or detestable. But ultimately, he sums it all up in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6, where it says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God. And you are not your own for you were brought, bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God, belong, you belong to God. He has purchased you with a price and your life now, any life that we've been given has, is a gift that has come from him. From You can just think about it simply and and physically, the oxygen that we breathe, the very life essence that we have, the ability to live on a planet that has food that can sustain us and nourish us and things, all of those came from God, clearly. (laughs) The creation allows for us to live, but He also has given us every spiritual good thing that we've ever received. And when we have committed our lives in faith to Messiah, we now serve Him. We work for him and we bear his glory. That's why he says, keep your bodies clean for you yourself are the temple of God. Yes, there once was a tabernacle in the wilderness that housed the glory of God. And we've been talking about the creation and the construction of that in the book of Exodus in recent weeks. But ultimately here and now today, the glory of God dwells within each and every one of us. We don't have to have a temple or a tabernacle that we get to move to and fro in throughout the earth with the glory of God inside of us. If there ever is a need for a temple to come, to be rebuilt, or if it ever does happen in Jerusalem, that would be a beautiful and wonderful thing. It'll be once again, the example for us to physically see the, by the command of through Moses of what it is for the dwelling place of God to be here on earth. But it also says in Revelation that when he looked upon the new Jerusalem, he saw no temple in it, but he saw the very Lamb of God, the Messiah himself there, because he himself was the temple. And we, if we live our lives in accordance to his word and emulate after him, we too, especially in the here and now, can be the ones who carry the glory of God with us. There's three different ways. Actually, before I say that, I want to say this. In the, in the verse that I read, where it says that it says, you are the glory, that you are the holy temple. Your body is the temple. It's not just talking on an individual basis, but the Apostle Paul, the Greek word there is plural when he says you, basically speaking into the entire community. It's not just on an individual basis. I love the word you because it can incorporate both. So there's three things that I want to point out that when, we, when the Apostle Paul says that you are the temple of God, how it connects and how it resonates with what the glory of God inside of us and what we really can do with it. The first one is this. We are a body of believers that are knitted together by our shared faith in the Messiah. You can look around if you're in your family, a community, congregation, church, wherever you attend, and because of your shared faith, you have been brought together near into the community of God, and collectively, we all bear the glory of God. We all bear His image, and it knits us together for a singular purpose, that we may, might be many, but we all have received that same glory, and we all get to share in the same family, and that is the spiritual concept and the spiritual family of Israel. The second thing that I want to point out is that it does take a personal turn when you see that the presence of God within everybody is personally within you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you can stop. And if you're alone, you don't have to be a part of your community. You can be in your private prayer time, reading the scripture, and you can know through your faith, through your belief, through your confession, that God's presence is literally there with you, not just physically, but spiritually. And in all ways, his glory dwells within your heart. We should have all peace, all joy, all understanding that God is with us. There is no temple here, so we have to be that temple. We have to carry ourselves in an appropriate way because the glory of God is within us, the Spirit inside of our hearts, and the Messiah himself serving as the high priest inside this tabernacle. And we should carry ourselves in accordance. So one, we are knitted together as a community. Two, we are individually, we carry the presence of God. And the third one is this, and this is the commission. Wherever you go you take the presence of God with you. Think about the tabernacle in the wilderness. When the children of Israel finished creating it and the glory of the Lord was there in that place and you see the pillar above it. And then when it was time to pack up, the priests did their job, they packed everything up, they went and they got to carry the presence of God to somewhere else. And wherever that place went, we don't know all the different ways and how it worked with the water came from a rock, wherever they went, water was provided for them. They had manna, they had bread from, from heaven that fell each and every day, well, six days a week, I should say. And wherever they went they planted that tabernacle, God's presence got to plant a new seed, a new root into a location. Think of the witness that you would see. Think of the people, anybody else that was nomadic in the area. We, all, we already know the story about how Jethro, the father in law of Moses, came and visited the camp and saw, you know, and, and became a convert to the God of Israel to believe in him and made that confession. But wherever it went, it planted, and then suddenly it was this beacon, it was this sign. It was anybody that was an onlooker could see wow, look at the presence of God who just moved into my land. Do you think blessings flowed? and prevailed in that place? Do you think that maybe there, might, there could have been a time or a, or a location or a region where there was no rain and there was travelers or there was people that were there that had no rain, but then the presence of God comes in and then blessing prevailed? We don't have any record of that, but I can picture just the power and the witness that it was when God's presence walked into a new location. They set up the temple in the tabernacle, and suddenly someone new, new to the faith, didn't know anything, what was going on, but now hears the stories of the children of Israel, and suddenly they see that pillar hovering over the tabernacle that contained the glory of God. What a witness and a testimony that is. And it was portable. It was mobile. It could go to those different places and people, others could see it and others could come in and be adopted in and join in with the camp. That was the whole point of adoption. That was the whole point of all the mixed multitude that came into, that left Egypt and came into the camp and was numbered among the people. Now think about the idea that you yourself are a mobile tabernacle. You carry the presence of God no matter where you go. Do you realize the kind of witness that you can be? Do you realize that some pe- somebody can see the Spirit of God inside of you if you are a bearer of the fruits of His Spirit? When, you see, when they see joy or happiness, love, uh, joy or peace, patience, steadfastness inside you and, and, and that that is a trait that describes you as a person, then somebody else can witness power of God, see the glory of God, even by your very presence. It's almost like a ministry that each and every one of us are commissioned to do, to be a mobile, portable tabernacle of God, where his presence goes, wherever you go. That's why some people go and ask the Lord, and it's like, Lord, where am I supposed to be? Where am I supposed to be planted, Lord? Where am I, am I supposed to set up a congregation in the city where I'm in? Am I supposed to travel to a new city, to a new location? Whoever I meet in the grocery store or along the way, Father, make me a bearer of your glory, Father, as you have filled me as your tabernacle. And wherever I might be traveling, Father, may it be a witness to those who so desperately need to hear the testimony of God. And who need to hear the gospel message. Ultimately, that's the Great Commission. That's what it is to go into the nations, make disciples, and for people to see and to hear and to understand the testimony of what God has done for us. And that's what the tabernacle could do in the wilderness when it was picked up, taken, traveled, set down, and a new people saw it. Now some people wanted to go to war. Later on in the t- course of the Torah cycle, we'll hear about how the, you know, there were kings in Moab that they had to go to war with and tried to curse the children of Israel, Balak and Balaam and all of that story, to where there was those that did not instead, when they wanted to fight against, they worshiped other gods, they wanted to fight against the God of Israel. Rather than seeing the witness of what God did for these people, saved them, or gave them salvation when they were not a people, when they were dead, when they were slaves, when they were less than human while they were in Egypt and treated as such, God brought this people out and made them his people and made them a nation. No matter where you've come from, that's an example that you want to join in with. You want to follow that God because that God can bring you out of whatever situation you're in. So if you are a born again believer in the Messiah and you have accepted the Messiah into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, then you have brought in the glory of God through worship and through prayer and through meditation and through teaching, and you have the glory of God inside of you. It's like a mobile tabernacle that takes you wherever the Lord leads you, whatever the pillar leads you to be in, with your families, congregations, your communities, you get to carry the glory of God with you. Because you are the temple of God. This is how the teaching of the Messiah from the first century perfects, fulfills the instruction that comes to us from the book of Exodus. The journey of the children of Israel that were dead, that were, that were stuck in Egypt, slaves to bondage in Egypt, just like we are slaves to sin. And then the journey of them being redeemed, passing through the waters, having an experience with God, and then the tabernacle being in their midst. We get an extra special sort of trait that we, instead of needing a physical tabernacle that we have next door to our dwelling place, the God, God himself dwells within us. In John chapter 1, where it says, "...and the word became flesh and dwelt among them." That is the same sort. Of, that's the same type of dwelling, the same type of word that is used for the desire of God in the building of the tabernacle that he desired to dwell within the hearts of his people. And so the Messiah himself has dwelt with mankind when he came to this earth. And now that he has left and we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, we now get to be the bearers of God's image here on earth once again. It's just like it was back in the garden and we get to be the ones that help to bring redemption to all of creation, and that we get to share the gospel message and bring more, and we get to grow and increase the kingdom of God through our faith, through our testimony and our example. So I would pray that even though we've talked about Exodus and we can talk about the history of it, we can talk about what that tabernacle looked like, and I'm sure many teachings on the tabernacle are all about the measurements and these things and what it looked like and what the table of showbread and the Ark of the Covenant and what the high priest did and the priesthood. And we have the whole journey of the children of Israel. All of this is wonderful, compelling, historical study that we can do and we can watch all the movies and we can learn all of those things. But ultimately, may we never lose the fact that our faith in Yeshua is what causes us to truly be spiritual Israel and that we are all on our own journey that God has commissioned us to follow in, to walk that path, and to journey our way to the promised land. And may we hold on to the glory. May we not grumble and moan and complain like the children of Israel did. And may we carry that glory into the nations and into a world that so desperately needs it and shine a light into the darkness and be a kingdom of priests that represent God to the nations and bring the nations into the presence of their God so that we all might be one. What a commission that is, and I pray that that is what the testimony of Yeshua does for us, and that's what I encourage you with this week. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time and this teaching as we close out the book of Exodus. Father, I pray that the word of God would come alive to us every time that we dig in not only to the Torah, not only to the prophets, but also into the New Testament as well. And Father, I pray that you would just stir in our hearts, Father, to continue to read your word, to dig in on a regular basis each and every day. And Father, we thank you for taking us through the gospel message and through these stories of our Messiah, which is, who is the foundation of our faith, Lord. Without him, no one goes to the Father. And so, Father, may we claim the blood of Messiah upon us. And, Father, may we bear your glory and your image here on earth. Commission us, Lord, to serve however you need us to do. Pour out your spiritual gifts upon us and cause us to serve in whatever area of ministry that we can and will and are able to do. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. I thank you for this time, this opportunity, and this teaching. We thank you for this ministry. We thank you for all the other ministries that we co-labor with, Lord, each and every week as we go about and serve the people, serve the flock. And so Father, I pray that you just pour out a special blessing upon your people on this Sabbath day. We thank you. In your son, Yeshua, in his name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
0: Recha yair adonai
2: panavilcha vichune. shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom.